When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. Hello, I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily, your regular hit of Premier League news, opinion, guests and everything else your football-loving heart desires. Not quite daily over the summer, but there's still plenty of podcasts to get your teeth into. And if there's not enough podcasts, you can follow us on Twitter for more Premier League football stuff at FSDpod. And if that's still not enough for you, get involved in the Telegram chat if you want to be part of the inner circle of Football Social Daily. And to remind us exactly how to get involved with the Telegram chat, it's Marley. Yeah, just uh, just download Telegram uh, and click on the link that's in our Twitter feed. Um, you'll see it. Might be buried somewhere, so I might repost it if we have anyone. <laughs> just thinking of it's actually well buried now. But uh, yeah, just log on, download the app, and you can talk to us in sort of WhatsApp style, real time. Well, how about that? That was that was uh, the uh, Football Social Daily social media strategy developing in real time on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you joined us for a planning session. Uh, it's just me and M Dog today. Joel is on his summer scouting trip in Budapest. Niall is stuck in 2020 with about COVID, so it is just just myself and Marley. Thankfully, we've called up Super Sub Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock podcast to talk to us in a little bit about the latest goings on at Old Trafford, including Ten Hag's plans, slow progress in the transfer market, even slower progress in regards to takeovers as well. So we'll speak to Jay in a little bit. But before we do that, we're going to get an update on what's going on in the world of transfers. It's been a slow summer so far, but it feels like it could kick into gear any moment. And I want to start off with Koulibaly, who has left Chelsea. He's joined that Saudi Arabian exodus Left for an undisclosed fee, but no doubt, probably not the amount that Chelsea paid for in Mali. Is that potentially the worst bit of business the club have ever done? It's pretty bad, but because it's Chelsea, you never know. Um, there's a lot of competition for that uh, <laughs> for that role, I suppose. But yeah, he's uh, he's right up there. Um, Cucurella is obviously another one that, that stands out, but Cucurella could still get better because he's only 20. 
24, 25-ish, you know. Um, but Koulibaly, I mean, for the high peak he commanded for five years, six years, it was, you know, every summer transfer window, every January transfer window, it was Koulibaly's, uh, you know, the best centre-back outside the Premier League. You know, he's... he's uh, he's locking everyone down in Italy. He's doing brilliantly for Napoli. He's got pace. He's got power. He sees everything, um, and you can't get past him. And it's like he's coming to Man United this summer. He's coming to Chelsea one summer. He's coming to Arsenal. He's linked with everyone. And then he comes to the Premier League and he absolutely stinks the place out. And he leaves after a year. So he's you know he's one of the worst sort of hyped signings I've ever. Mm. I've ever seen really. Um, Why do you think it's not worked for him? Because as you say, there was this scenario for years before he joined Chelsea where he was being touted with all the big four clubs he was seen as the next big thing on the face of it he has got the attributes that should lend him to be a good Premier League defender but it just hasn't worked for him and you could say the same about a lot of players that go to have gone to Chelsea particularly over the last few seasons there's a lot of promise that just hasn't really reached fruition is it because of the way they played is it because he's just not suited to the league what has gone wrong uh, he's he's too old, he's too old, he's too fast, uh, too fast, sorry, not fast enough, he's too slow. Too fat. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, to be fair, you probably you might be honest something there, he's physically massive, like he's a big unit, so when the um, when the pace of the Premier League is faster than Serie A, he's always going to struggle a little bit, um, and you see that with, with some of the sort of times he's been caught out and things, and I also think he just doesn't have the fight for it, he, he's not doesn't seem that bothered like mm. he's you know the first exit opportunity like you've had a poor season he's had a poor season Thiago Silva's had a poor season Thiago Silva's 40 probably probably is at a career point where he's very he could easily be attracted to the Saudi money like imagine getting a name like Thiago Silva it'd be huge but he's like no I'm, I'm staying for another year I'm going to sort this out and it's that type of character that Chelsea need and then you've got Koulibaly and he's like oh what Al, Al who yeah how much? Yeah, all right, see you later. He's straight off. The first opportunity he gets, he's off. And that, for me, is just a really poor character. Um, and he's been a really poor player, you know. It was only, it was less than a year ago. They were they were doing um, an announcement video where he was, uh, he was ringing John Terry and saying, can I have your legendary number 26 shirt? And John Terry's like, yeah, mate, of course. Yeah, he's, you've got to be brilliant. And then, you know, he's not even lasted a year and he's buggered off to, to uh, Saudi Arabia. So, massive, massive hype job, I think, um, up there with, with the worst sort of flops per hype ratio I've I've seen in uh, in forever, really. Are you as critical of Koulibaly going to Saudi Arabia? I mean, you had a bit of a pop of uh, Ruben Neves last week taking the money and going to the Saudi League. We've seen a few players go. Now, Koulibaly is arguably the right side of 30 to join but still at 32 you've got a few years left in you particularly at centre-back where you can go on a little bit longer quite often does it is it kind of a question of drive and desire that the players that are taking the opportunity to go to the Saudi league maybe haven't got that kind of fight in them to continue at the top of the game yeah well he's he's proved that you know the first like I said the first offer that came he was straight on the plane you know straight away I'll, yeah I'll leave of course you know and I feel like players with with character the ones that you need to get you out of a bit of a mess wouldn't do that um they want to stay they want to fight they want to improve the team they want to put right what they've done wrong this season but 
with him. And, you know, compared to Neves, the six years between him, Neves is 26, Koulibaly is 32. Um, it's probably, you see in 32, it's probably the average age of the signings that um, that the Saudi Arabian League is making at the minute. Obviously, Neves is the exception, but then you look into why he's gone and you you see the FFP, the um, problems that Wolves are in. And you see the the shady dealings of uh, George Mendes, who is uh, Neves' agent and half of Portugal's agents. Um, you know, and you, you kind of understand that a bit more, but, uh, well, you you understand it sort of in a bit more detail. Um, but with Koulibaly, it was always going to appeal to him. You know, Joel made a good point in, uh, I think it was last week, that uh, a lot of Muslim players are going and Koulibaly is another one because it's a Muslim country. And that, that kind of makes sense a bit. Like especially when you see, you see the older older guys going and and you know it makes the adaptation a bit easier. Uh, the the yeah, no the no tax, culture shock. Yeah, the no tax and the and the wages make it even easier. So you've got three good things there: no tax, big wages, and a country of your religion. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's all you really need, I suppose. But yeah, the culture is is easier to adapt to than a than a an, an, an outsider. You would say a typical outsider, you know, a tourist. Um, so yeah, it's. Not a surprise, really. Um, and good riddance to him. He'll be one of the most forgot- for- forgotten players mm. um, really, really quickly. And so ends Koulibaly's Chelsea career. I did have a thought over the weekend, after all the criticism of Saudi Arabia and the league out there and what they're doing, I wondered how different it was what the Saudi league are doing in terms of them building a football dynasty to what PSG did. Founded in 1970, relatively newcomers to the French League, taken over in 2011 and just pumping money into a league to make it pretty non-competitive. And maybe that's a conversation for another time, though, so we'll put a pin in that for now. Because I want to talk about Arsenal, because Mikel Arteta gave an interesting interview over the weekend, said that this coming Premier League season was going to be one of the toughest to win ever and recognise that Arsenal, if they want to be in with a chance of winning that title... They need to strengthen rumours of a £200 million war chest. I love it when they get called war chests in the newspapers for him to spend to build his Arsenal team. On the first part, Marley, Mikel Arteta saying it's going to be one of the toughest seasons ever to win. Does he mean for anyone apart from Manchester City? Or does he mean that the whole thing is just going to be competitive? There's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be vying for that championship. Uh, To be honest, I think it's just something you say. Like, like <laughs> okay. what? Like what? Make what makes it harder than any anything else? Yeah, yeah just, just cliche bell for Mikel Arteta. Yeah, just a yeah, just a cliche, really. Because is it harder to win than last year? No, it's not. Because last year you're having you're going Man City. You've just signed Haaland. Oh my god! Um, mm. And they're going to be on almost unstoppable. You know what I mean? And it turns out they pretty much were. They won the treble and all the rest of it. So. There's that, and then you can compare them to this year, and they've lost Gundogan already. They might lose Bernardo, they might lose Mares, they might lose uh, Laporte, they might lose uh, a couple of others as well. So I know they'll replace them with with quality, but on the face of it, they're not bringing in, they're not obviously strengthening. Whereas last year, they signed you know a fifty goal a season striker that everyone knew. So it was so with regards to that, I I don't really agree, but. Um, obviously, everyone else will will strengthen, but they do every year. They know everybody strengthens every year. You know, I think, I think he's just downplaying expectations because he can't confirm, he can't say with any sort of certainty that Arsenal are going to be in the title race again. Because last year they capitalised. Everybody had a poor 
a poor season or a poor spell, really, outside Arsenal and Man City to an extent. Um, you look at Man United and, you know, they started off the season getting losing the first two games. Um, there was a spell in there where they got hammered by Liverpool. There was a spell, um, I think it was just after the Carabao final, wasn't it, where they lost a few games and, and dropped points and they were never in the race as a result of it. And you look at everyone else outside that. Chelsea were awful. Liverpool were awful. Spurs were awful. Um, everybody, really. And then Newcastle were just like plodding along, um, but not expected to be in the title race. Whereas I think this year, he's probably looking at it, looking at it and thinking, well, somebody's got to have a good year. Um, so I'll I'll dampen expectations a little bit and and sort of buy my, and buy myself the the excuse of saying, well, I told you it was going to be tough when they're fourth in November or December or something like that, and everyone's going, oh, Arsenal, are, Arsenal, are crap. Well. Whereas in reality, they got it right. They got it more right than anyone the season where everyone else got it wrong. Like last year, everyone was poor. Arsenal were great, and then it then it came to squeaky bum time, and they couldn't handle it. But that's just that's just football, I suppose. It's harsh to call it a fluke season, isn't it? Because Arsenal were so good for seventy five percent of the season and probably deserved to do better in the end of it. So it is harsh to call it a fluke. But you're right. There was a certain set of circumstances where other clubs capitulated and Arsenal were able to capitalise on that. So with these other teams who are going to be better this season, Chelsea are going to be better, Tottenham fans will hope they're going to be better, although you can never count on anything with Tottenham. Newcastle are going to be competing. It'll be interesting to see how the Champions League distracts them. There is going to be competition. Manchester United are getting their house in order. So where do Arsenal need to strengthen now if they are going to be competitive next season, if they are going to be in the race for the top four, not even to mention in the race for the title, where do they desperately need to bring players in? I I don't think they need much, to be fair. Um, I think last season when they were struggling um, towards the end, I said that this this is good for Arsenal in terms of they'll gain the experience of losing and they'll be better next season. And I think they could they could go through the next season with the exact same squad and get over the line in time because they'll they'll have that like hurt in them and they'll know what it's like to be in a position and then lose it from that position. Like I don't think mm. Kai Havertz, for example, who they're signing sort of this week, will give them anything that they don't already have. Like he'll replace Granite Xhaka. Um there's talk of him playing um in centre midfield rather than, than up front. And we, we question why they were signing last week and the rumour is that they're going to turn him into a left-sided central midfielder, but £65 million pounds to, to gamble that a guy can be as effective as yeah. you think he can be on a in a position he hasn't played before is... is By a central midfielder instead. You could do, yeah, you could do. Um, there's plenty out there. I think if you look at, you know, if you could have got him before the Saudis, uh, could you have had Ruben Neves? I think you probably could. If you'd have started that interest before the Saudi Arabia... Link came across. You could you could strengthen that role quite easily. Rice is there as well, um, who's available to buy. They might end up buying him anyway. But you know, it's one of them where I, I think what they gained by losing this the league this uh, this last season, you can't replace what that gives them mentally. Um, you you have to go through that to to get yourself in a position where if it happens again you go that isn't happening again we don't do that again i know what it feels like i know what it, i know what we did wrong i know what we need to do right this time 
So for me, I, I don't think they need much strengthening. Maybe maybe another centre back because when they when they brought in Rob Holden, they started losing games a little bit. Um, but they didn't play Kiwi or too much, and I haven't seen any. I haven't seen enough of him to decide whether he's a good enough backup or not because he only played a few games. But you'd assume he was he was decent. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, turning our attention to the red half of Manchester now with Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock podcast joining us to give us an update on everything that's going on in and out of Old Trafford. How are you doing, Jay? I'm good. I don't know about much of an update on everything that's going on at Old Trafford. I'll try, (laughs) but... I think we're all in the dark at the I minute. guess that's kind of the point because it's been dead slow. I think we expected more from Manchester United on both fronts this season, starting with what's going on in the transfer market right now. The on-off transfer of Mason Mount seems to now be dead. A third bid of around £55 million allegedly rejected by Chelsea. I mean... Do you think it's time for Manchester United to move on? 55 million quid just stretching the valuation a little bit too far? Yeah, I mean, this was a transfer that I kind of got convinced about. I wasn't a massive Mason Mount fan. I thought he was all right. But the more I sort of spoke about it, the more I looked into it, the more I chatted to Chelsea fans, I thought, okay, he's a good player. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, the Champions League winner. His his numbers are are quite decent as well. And he can operate in a, a few positions. But... It stops being worth it when you start getting towards sort of 60, 65, 70 million quid because this is a player that's out of contract in the, the summer. There's no guarantee that if everyone's fit, he even starts for Manchester United. I mean, you can make that argument that he does, but it's not certainly not set in stone. And, you know, he might end up joining us and, and be a different option and we do need options. But I just feel that to spend that kind of money on a player that, you know, he's, he's good, but I don't think he's, he's a very, very top for me it's not worth it especially when you look at it and you go depending on how this pans out maybe you go back in for him in January maybe you just wait out to the summer and if he still wants to come in the summer you get him for nothing so whilst I'm all for Manchester United 
buying players and, and trying to catch Manchester City, I do think we have to be a little bit more sensible, especially when, from what we gather, we are going to be on a somewhat limited budget. Well, in terms of the budget, apparently Ten Hag is looking to have that long-awaited Manchester United clear-out, which has been touted around for a couple of seasons, wants to raise £100 million by getting rid of 11 first-team players. I mean, is there that much fat in the squad? I think there is. I think it speaks volumes of fat that I actually actually read it was 13, but I'll go with your 11. The fact that to to raise £100 you've got to sell basically an entire team. Which each one for yeah, seven million quid is a testament to the the, the sort of the, the the strength of the squad or whatever. The fact that we you know you're having to sell over ten players to raise a hundred million, where other clubs you know at the top end of the Premier League probably sell three players and get that. But I think when you look at some of the players that have been suggested as moving on, Martial, perhaps even Jaden Sancho, Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay, amongst those those names, Fred, there is money there. I don't think you're going to get anywhere near what you paid for, say, Harry Maguire, for example, but you can get, I think the ambitious uh, target was 40 million, but I think you can get at least 25, 30 million. Again, similar number for for McTominay. And if you move quite a few players on, then there is definitely funds to be raised. And I think some of these players, despite the fact that they're not good enough for Manchester United, are good enough for the Premier League and are good enough for certain teams. Harry Maguire is an England international who wasn't that long ago, was finishing second in the Premier League and third the season before. The same with Scott McTominay, obviously Scottish international, does well for his country, played a lot of games for Manchester United and you know helped Manchester United to a top two finish not that long ago. So you can get get money for them. And I think if you get move enough of them on, then that can obviously be used elsewhere. It's just, it is a bit sort of frustrating when you look at the amount of money United has basically wasted mm. on some of these players. Who do you want to see come in? What areas do you think need strengthening? And are there any specific names that you think can slot into that Manchester United team and play the Ten Hag way? For me, I think we need a goalkeeper. The two obvious Mm. positions are goalkeeper and striker. Now, I've not seen a lot of Andre Onana. I've sort of watched the Champions League final and a couple of other matches since then just to sort of brush up on him. But he's obviously a player that Eric Ten Hag knows from his Ajax days, can play it out from the back the way that Eric Ten Hag wants to. And... Whilst his, his shot stopping isn't that much better, if it is better than David De Gea's, I think as a goalkeeper fitting into that system, he seems ideal. For the other end of the pitch, as a striker, in an ideal world, I'd love to see Harry Kane or Victor Osimhen coming in. Is that going to happen? Probably not, especially when we're talking about the, the budget we're on and the, the sort of figures being banded around for either of those two. Maybe you bring in Rasmus Hoyland, but again, he seems a bit more like a, a longer-term option than someone who can come in straight away and get United challenging so it's difficult because it's not like there's an abundance of number nines out there you can just go out and get for a reasonable price but for me definitely two areas that need strengthening are goalkeeper and and striker I mean it's almost insane that Manchester United are going into this season without really knowing who our goalkeeper is going to be or having a a completely reliable number nine it's just it's shocking really I mean it has been slow so far this season and it's been a slow rot at Manchester United as well in terms of that regeneration that you've been waiting for for a long time. This summer, it seems to be hamstrung slightly, or Eric Ten Hag certainly seems to be hamstrung by this kind of unknown entity, the uncertainty over the ownership at the moment. Do you think that is directly influencing activity in the transfer market at the moment? I think it has some sort of effects because 
you would you would presume any new owner comes in, whether it's a Jim Ratcliffe or Shea Jassim, because they're the two main figures that are being looked at as the the front runners. They're gonna want to come in and make a marquee signing. That's they're gonna want to come in and go look. This is why I bought this club. This is why I'm the right guy to own it. Let's get everyone on board. Let's show what we're about. And let's make some signings. It's just a, it's a, it's an obvious move that a new owner would make. So I'd expect them to put some money into the transfer kit, whether that's a hundred million or whatever, I don't know. But you'd expect them to give Eric Ten Hag some sort of transfer boost. So without the ownership being dealt with, he's not going to have that. So he is going to have to sort of cut his cloth accordingly. And as we've mentioned earlier, probably sell a few players to, to bring in transfers. We've obviously got some money because as you mentioned, we've we've put a bid in for Mason Mount. So there's obviously something there, but you would think that with the takeover sorted, we'd have more. The, the sad fact of the matter is, though, I don't even think the takeover will be done before the, the season starts, to be honest with you, because we're still waiting for a decision. And even if we get a decision sooner rather than later, it's going to take a couple of months just to do the deal because it's not like you're just handing over a set of keys and signing a piece of paper. It's obviously a big process t- taking over at Manchester United. So I expect it to rumble on for at least another couple of months. Well, then you've got the legal side of it as well, particularly if it's the Qatari owners that take over. You've got the fit and proper tests and everything like that. How frustrating is it as a fan that this has just been dragging on and on for so long now? It's just like the, the Glazers' sort of final insult to us all. <laughs> even something like this, where you think, finally, you're going to make a load of money. You're going to walk away from the club. And I'll, I'll choose my language carefully because I, I know this is a family show. <laughs> and you're going to, you know, you're going to leave. With, with a lot, you know, with a, a fortune that you don't deserve. And yet they're still making a mess of it. They're still infuriating all the fans because for whatever reason, whether it's they're arguing amongst themselves, whether they're trying to squeeze a few more um, f- few more pennies out of the, the deal, whatever it is, it's not being sorted. It should have been sorted months ago. It was November they made this statement about the strategic alternatives when it came to selling the club. So, you know, it, it's just... Completely annoying. And the sad thing is, we're going into the next season now facing a Manchester City side that's just won the treble, facing a rejuvenated Arsenal, facing a Chelsea who've probably got their act together, facing Liverpool who've already bought a World Cup winner and a water rebound from a poor season. It's it's going to be even more difficult to finish third than it was last season. And you want United to kick on. You don't just want to maintain the status quo. So the chance of us improving on that already, and I don't want to be negative because it's only June, but they're already looking pretty bleak in terms of the fans at the moment and obviously at Stretford Paddock you're in touch with the fans quite a lot you do your interviews with them outside grounds etc etc where's the favouritism there in terms of the new ownerships are they looking at the in IN EOS ownership Jim Ratcliffe the Qatari but what, what where's the interest there or is it just a case of anyone but the Glazers it's weird because a year ago if you'd have said to Jim Ratcliffe taking over at Manchester United Everyone I spoke to wanted that. Everyone. We did a, a we did a, a sort of a watch along, if you can call it that, for when he did a Q&A as part of his Ineos sort of presentation or whatever. He did like an interview and he was asked about Manchester United and everyone in the comments when we were sort of commenting, commentating on it was like, oh, we need to get Sir Jim, Sir Jim, Sir Jim. He's the saviour and all this. However, it sort of shifted, I think, with a lot of fans from what I gather from our conversations because of the fact that Sheikh Jassim is making all these promises of a new stadium, new training ground, investing in the team. Jim Ratcliffe's been a little bit more vague about how much he's actually going to invest in those areas. And also this report that one of Sir Jim's offers entails 
the Glazers, I think Joel Navram staying on in some capacity, not staying on controlling the club, but staying on and having a share still and, and, and still being able to, to sort of receive some money. That's left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth of a lot of fans. So I do feel like it has shifted slightly where there does seem to be more fans banging the Qatari bid drum. But there's still a few fans as well, like myself, that are looking at it going, okay, I don't want the Glazers to stay. I want them gone. So that's not an attractive proposition. But on the other hand, yes, it might be Sheikh Jassim in, in name, but is this a, a state-backed bid? And this is nothing against this, the country Qatar or anything like that, but I don't really want Manchester United to be owned by a state, whether that was... I wouldn't, even want, I wouldn't want us to be owned by Britain. It's not just anything against Qatar. I just don't want a state on bid. So it's conflicting, really. It's, it's just really frustrating that we've waited for the Glazers to go for so long and now the, the two main offers on the table are both pretty flawed in my opinion there's still plenty to happen over the summer it'll be interesting to see whether the transfer deal does or sorry the takeover deal does happen before the summer window closes and how that impacts the season but it could have a massive impact either way on what happens for Manchester United over the next 12 months Jay have you got a bit more time can you stick with us for a little bit yeah of course Cool, because I want to talk about one of your club legends, Rio Ferdinand, who has priced himself in the modern market and caused a few a raised eyebrows in the process. We'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. Marley Anderson on the podcast with me. Jay Motti from Stretford Paddock still with us as well. And I want to talk about Manchester United's Rio Ferdinand, who has been pricing himself in the current transfer market. This is on his YouTube channel. And he said that in the current climate, if he was going to be sold, he'd be worth around 170 million quid and be pulling in £400,000 a week in wages. It's caused some debate. I guess the valuation kind of depends on where he, what, what Rio Ferdinand you're getting as well, what stage in career, his career he's talking about. Uh, what do you think of that valuation though, Jay? You saw him at Manchester United, uh, probably at his peak. Would you say 170 million quid's about right? I think if you're going to get Rio Ferdinand around the same time, let's say for the sake of argument, the same time Manchester United bought him from Leeds where I think he was the world's most expensive defender when we bought him, or, or Britain's most expensive defender, then he would be breaking records in terms of his transfer fee. I just think he would. For me, Rio Fernandes, the, the second greatest defender I've ever seen behind Yap Stam, was just an absolutely phenomenal defender and would fit into any era as well. He could carry the ball out, he could play out from the back, he was rapid, quick. You know, he, he made it look almost effortless at times. How many you think of when you watch Real Fernand clips? How many times you see him diving in for a last ditch tackle? You don't really see him doing that because he usually didn't need to. He'd usually just take the ball off attackers just by running alongside them and, and nicking it off him. So whilst it does sound a lot when you say it like 170 million, you think what what are defenders going for now? What is the top end of the defender scale? Whatever that is, you'd probably add on a little bit more for Real Ferdinand because I don't think there's a defender on the planet right now who was as good as Real Ferdinand was in his prime. I just I just don't. However, if you're talking about the QPR version of Real Ferdinand, then I'm afraid you'd be lucky to get 170 quid for him, let alone 170 million. <laughs> he was such a quality defender. I remember seeing him at West Ham and I, I guess... When I look at his transfer from West Ham to Leeds, he wasn't a fully formed product, but in his West Ham days, he was so calm on the ball and Leeds bought potential there for that 18 million quid. And I think there's a lot of similarities between Rio when he left West Ham and Declan Rice now when he's leaving West Ham, not just in terms of 
the potential that's there and how that's reflecting the transfer fee, but also in the terms of the type of player. And I think potentially in modern football, Rio Ferdinand wouldn't necessarily be a centre-back either. I think he could play further forward. He was that comfortable on the ball. What do you think, Marley? Because there's been some raised eyebrows over this valuation and... Now, Jay's been having a bit of back and forth on Twitter with some Liverpool fans on this. If you want to see that for yourself, you can. At Jay Motti, Jay is on Twitter, see that. Um, But the debate has been whether Rio could even play football in the modern era, that it was far more suited to, in the words of one correspondent, (laughs) hoofball. Well, firstly, let me say say I'm so shocked that Jay's been arguing with Liverpool fans on Twitter. Um... (laughs) 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 <laughs> there was a day about three and a half months ago I think it was a Tuesday where I didn't argue with Liverpool fans on Twitter yeah. Jay forgot his login that day uh, yeah that was yeah, it but nah, honestly, nah, <laughs> look from a from a, like a neutral perspective on this there is no way that anybody could say that Ferdinand couldn't do it in in this game today like he was he was so good in you know, let, let's call it the let's run with the the daft name of Hoofball um, he was way more he was so good in that era because he could play with the ball like he was he was ahead of his time i think in in that in that way also can we just say that that era of premier league football was not hoofball there might have been no, a few people all. who were playing hoofball but it was like yeah there were so many teams playing beautiful attractive flowing football at that stage even if it wasn't tippy tappy whatever it was but yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't hoofball it was it was a great era of football as well let's not let's not forget that let's not downplay it at all but yeah, Ferdinand was was the first sort of not the first, but you know one of the leading sort of you know you, you almost called him a, a Rolls Royce centre back. He was fast, he was good on the ball, you know he could pass into sort of break lines in midfield and stuff. And if you look at the 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 world's most expensive now uh, defender now, and it's Harry Maguire at eighty million, and then it's uh, Van Dijk at seventy five, and Fafana's the third at, at seventy. And you think he's him in his prime is just streets ahead of all of them. I think he 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 now is like if you put him in today's game, it would be like Van Dyke in the Liverpool title winning season when everyone was like, "Is this the greatest defender of all time?" Mainly again, Liverpool fans leading that charge, but it was it was one of those where because he was so comfortable on the ball and and everybody was like, "Wow, look at this big Dutch guy who's dead fast and has never been dribbled past." That was Ferdinand back in. Back in his prime, um, and again, if you signed him, you know, like like you said before, that if you signed him when he came from Leeds as a 22, 23 year old, whatever it was, he would he would hundred percent go for well over a hundred million. I think one hundred seventy is a staggering fee, but because why would you why would you put a, why would you put ninety million on Maguire? You know what I mean? Like to break it by that much would be would be insane, but. The the logic is is there to be fair. I think he'd definitely go for over a hundred million. Um, and in today's game, four hundred grand a week isn't that much really, because someone will pay you it. I want to play a little game with you boys, if that's all right. I want to put modern day valuations on some past Premier League greats. So some players from the past that they are being sold in the transfer window this summer. What kind of fee would you expect to get from them? So one for you, Marley, to start off with. I think you can probably predict where we're going with this one is it Al- sure Ramiobi? <laughs> yes no no uh, Alan Shearer 1996 he went from Blackburn to Newcastle for 15 million quid that era Shearer how much mm. do you think he'd be worth now uh floating around 150 to 200 I'd say 
Wow. I've, a... I've actually seen, honestly, um, you, know, you know, Kieran Maguire, who's been on the podcast a few times. Yeah, Prost He's He's done um, inflation rates of of uh, fees paid to, to older players. And he had Shearer at 225 million. Wow. In terms of his uh, his thing. But people forget, though, he, he was a world record transfer at 15 million in 1995-96. Um, so if you look, if you... You know, compare it to, to now. What's the the world record transfer fee? It's uh, it's Neymar, isn't it? To mm. to PSG for two hundred and twenty. So it it sort of lines up, really. Do you put Alan Shearer in the same ballpark as Neymar? He was potentially a signing for Manchester United at around the same time, Jay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that whatever the world record fee is now, Shearer would be commanding something like that in his prime. I really do because I think. If you the, the the sort of the most difficult thing or the what the most expensive players when everyone goes for the goal scorers that's the one where it's like you know if you can get someone who guarantees your goals then their prices and Shearer did that so if say for example let's say he was on the market now and Chelsea I know Chelsea have obviously just bought I think is it Unconcu they've just bought but say they were after a striker or or Newcastle you know with all their new money wanted to buy a striker or United had a, a budget then. Yeah, I could see Shearer breaking that world record fee. I, I, I could in his prime because you were guaranteed almost, what, 25, 30 Premier League goals a season with him at one point. It was just ridiculous numbers. So, yeah, I, I think that whilst that does sound excessive, you think, look at what Shearer did. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he almost single-handedly delivered a title to Blackburn. And how much would you pay for a Premier League title now? You'd pay, you know, well, Manchester United have paid $1.4 since Fergie retired to not win the Premier League. Let's um, do a Manchester United player as we've done a Newcastle one. What about Ryan Giggs then, Jay? Hard to value in any market because he never moved away from Manchester United. But if we picked him around, let's say the year 2000, fresh from winning the treble, age 27, how much would a prime Giggsy cost you? I think Giggs, I don't think he'd be in that at that age, probably not breaking the world record fee, but he'd be up there because of the, the fact that, not just the fact that obviously can score goals from nothing, is a match winner, ridiculously talented and all, all the rest of it, but also plays nearly every game, can operate in different positions as well. I know as he got later on in his career, he moved to the middle. I think you get, I mean, I'm thinking about 120 million for Ryan Giggs. I think you, I don't think he breaks the, the record fee, but, and let's not forget, I know you wouldn't know this at the time, but if you bought Ryan Giggs at 27, You've got another 13 years of it because <laughs> he didn't retire until he was 40. So <laughs> when you look at it that way, it's probably like less than 10 million a season. He was on 400 grand a week, though. I'm not sure he would have played on until he was 40. He doesn't have to if you've got 400 grand a week going into your pocket. You don't need to carry on That's playing point, that long. Yeah. Uh, right, one for you, Marley. One of the greatest ever Premier League players, Terry Henry from Arsenal, got him for 11 million quid. We'll value him after his first season in the Premier League. Scored 23 goals in that first season after a lot of speculation that he just wasn't good enough. Prove them wrong. How much would you pay for Henri? God, what? So, so have, have I got to base this off just that one season? So, if so, if you're, you're buying him, so he's had one season in the Premier League at Arsenal. Oh God, they got him for 11 million. What are you going for? Uh, so, if in the modern day, if someone had came into the Premier League and scored 23 in the first season, it's Similar to what Haaland's done, really, in terms of impact, but obviously Haaland's got bigger, greater numbers. But Henri, at that age, it's comfortably over 100. It's at least 150, I would say. Um, probably not far off off Shearer, to be fair. 160, 170, because he's, 
he's got everything like his, his pace his uh, ability to play in a couple of positions like sort of drifts to the left but plays up front um everything he's got really is 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 money <laughs> you know he's he's got height his pace is ridiculous he's touch and dribbling uh you can hang your sort of whole performance off him as well he can win you a game remember him in the uh in the champions league against uh, real madrid when he just bossed that game for for uh, for arsenal back in the day i think it's 2006 but yeah he's um he was pretty good back in the day so probably say 160 170 quite easily Maybe a bit more. Such a good player. Such a good player. Right, we'll do one more, Jay. You can wrap us up. Frank Lampard moved from West Ham to Chelsea in 2001 for £11 million, which even back then seemed like an absolute steal for Chelsea. I think West Ham were well and truly done over. How much do you think uh, Frank Lampard would be worth at that point in his career before his move to Chelsea in the current market? Um, At that point in his career, I think he... Because I don't think people realise just how good he was, to be fair. Because I think, I might be wrong, didn't he become Chelsea's all-time goal scorer and obviously won titles and, and won the Champions League, scored in the Champions League final, the one that they played against us um, and then went on to win it, obviously, when they beat Bayern Munich. So, you're just on that cusp, though, are you? You're not quite there yet where you go, this is a guy that's going to break all these records. You're just looking at this being a talented young midfielder with a lot of potential who's had a couple of good seasons at West Ham. So, I think he would have gone at that time for around... If Declan Rice is being touted around 90 million, I think you're looking at similar numbers for, for Frank Lampard. I know he would go on to become worth more than that in a modern game because of the amount of goals he scored and the trophies he won. You're probably looking at him being worth about 150 million in modern terms. But I think at that time, I think between 80 and 90 million would be a fair, fair reflection of where he was at. It just goes to show how bonkers transfer fees have gone, though, because we're talking about these astronomical fees at the moment. If you just take Alan Shearer's fee, 15 million quid, 1996, if you look at that purely on inflationary terms, that is 30 million now. Really? And so, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it just shows how transfer fees have completely outstripped inflation in any way whatsoever. Uh, But that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Jay, cheers for your time on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Good chat. Enjoyed that. Enjoyed that game as well. Yeah, we'll have to do that again in about... 20 years time. <laughs> you can find more from Jay on Twitter <laughs> at Jay Motti. See him arguing with Liverpool fans and you can hear more from Jay on the Stretford Paddock podcast. You can find that on the Sports Social Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. Nice one, Marley. You go and put that Telegram post up on uh, Twitter for people to find. And Shall do. <laughs> we'll see you next time for another Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network. <laughs>